This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. At this point in time, hopefully somebody's favorite Beatles podcast. Hopefully. I, I'm, I'm optimistic there. Oh, God, that's a bleak way to start the show. Again, I'm getting increasingly desperate to my audience here. If you have any ideas for any other ways for me to introduce the show, please email me at fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com. I'm getting desperate here. Oh, so, it's when this will be up, it'll be January. We're all dealing with this post-Christmas, COVID, whatever, blues. But, you know, c'est la vie, life goes on. There's a song by this one band with that lyric. I can't remember for the life of me what, what that band is, but I digress. Uh, Bewitched. Yeah, there you go. Heard it here first. Yeah, the, fun fact, they used to be my favorite band the year before I got into the Beatles, so that would have been sixth grade. Really? Yeah. Uh, he's the author of the forthcoming, not fifth coming or sixth coming. Again, okay. So that'll be the only bad pun you'll get today. Uh, book, Little Wing, The Jimmy McCulloch Story. Uh, Paul Sally, welcome to Fans on the Run. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, in a roundabout way, uh, this is kind of also a welcome back to Fans on the Run because of uh, uh, the stupidity of uh, yours truly. Uh, actually, it wasn't even my fault. It was the, the file got corrupted. I don't even know what that was. I think it could have been my microphone as well. Because uh, I was using my laptop mic, if I remember correctly, but... Ah, who knows? Oh, well, every, everything happens for a reason, right? Yes. So this this means this is going to be even better than before. I like that attitude. I, I am the eternal optimist when it comes to this. So I, I kind of just want to start out by... Uh, I've been keeping up with the book on your uh, Facebook group for Little Wing, and uh, I saw that a, it was a couple weeks ago... You got the final okay on the manuscript. Yes, that is correct. Um, I have the okay from Jimmy's brother, Jack, on the, the manuscript. So now I'm just waiting for final visuals from Jimmy's family before I sort of gather everything together and send send it on over to my editor to let him work his magic and uh, do his thing. So hopefully that won't take too much longer. So this is the point in the show where I'll I'll stop for a second and I'll let the uh, audience aggressively clap at their computers for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been a it's been a long time coming, that's for sure. Well, it, it's been quite a number of years in the making, hasn't it? Yeah. So I started out uh, researching and everything and contacting people in 2007 um, because I knew it would take a long time to kind of you know do all the research, contact as many people as I could to make it a, you know, cohesive biography, um, get all the visuals, stuff like that. Um, so I'm glad I started out when I was pretty young. Uh, well, you, you knew this would take a long time, but did you anticipate it would take 13 years? Uh, not, not particularly. Um, but then again, I, I guess I kind of knew at that point that I knew I wouldn't like it wouldn't be my only focus like full time so i think if i would have focused on it 100% all those years ago i probably would have uh been finished by now but 
you know, it's uh, it's been a long and winding road, shall they say, and um, it's been well worth the journey, and uh, it's worth the wait. So I'm excited for people to finally read it when it's out. I, I just want to clarify to the audience, when I say uh, there will be no more puns, I meant on my end. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I like to throw in a good pun every now and then. Well, good puns make, make the world go round. So they say, no one says that, but... I digress. Well, you know what they don't say? They don't say all puns must pass, so... You heard it here first. (laughs) So, I I, I tend to do this when it comes to the show. I want to ask you, kind of going right back to the beginning, how did you first uh, discover this merry little band that we call the Beatles? Well, I think I was about the perfect age. I was around 13, um, so I would have been in 7th grade. And I had seen a commercial for the Beatles one album on okay. television, and I thought, oh, you know, that band looks pretty cool. The songs sound good. I think I'll check out that album. So I ended up getting the album, and the rest, as they say, is history. Although a funny story now, looking back on it, a few years prior to that, I actually had had a Beatles calendar. And being young at the time, I didn't really know who they were. But I think the front cover was like the Please Please Me album cover. And then you flip to like November and it was uh, the Magical Mystery Tour album cover. So I remember asking my mom, I was like, Mom, are those those the same guys? And she's like, yes, they're the same guys. Whoa, it's pretty trippy. So you had a Beatles calendar before you knew who the Beatles were. Yes, yes. And I'm sure like... We listened to oldies growing up when I was a kid, so I'm sure I, I heard them back in the day, but I just, my memory doesn't have any re- recollection of that. Um, besides listening to like Elvis and Gary Lewis and their Playboys and stuff like that, so. And so, if, if you saw this commercial on TV, that would have been 2000, 2001? Um, December 2000. Yeah, November late late November early December two thousand. Because I remember the television movie um, about what John Lennon was on at the same time. Oh, is it that? Uh, what's uh, in, in my life? In his, yeah, I think it was in his life, the John Lennon story, which was really good. Um, and a fun fact about that is the guy who played uh, Pete Shotton was my tour guide when I went to Liverpool on the Magical Mystery Tour. Really? Yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. So how did it go from there once you got that uh, one CD? How did your uh, you know, love of the Beatles grow? Well, I'm the type of person who, once I get interested in something, like I'm very sort of um laser focused and on that specific thing so like i'll want to learn everything i can about it and so i listened constantly researched bought like you know all the books i could researched online all that fun stuff so the beatles were pretty much my life back then i'm sure much to the annoyance of my classmates (laughs) oh uh, you're preaching to the choir here yeah, that, I know yeah. that feeling quite well. Yeah, it's it's always fun when you're known as that Beatles kid in, in school. 
that's exactly what I was known as. Yeah. It's it's been passed down a, a generation now. It's like Excalibur, the, the lucky chosen few pull it out of the stone and they are bestowed the title of the Beatles kid. <laughs> so, if you're the type who gets, you know, laser focused like I'm sure a lot of us, uh you're the perfect type to write a book on, you know, something that hasn't really been documented before, like the full story of Jimmy, but we'll get to that in a bit. So, how did you kind of venture over to the solo career of Paul? Um, well, I think that was honestly the perfect time, um, because one had come out that winter, and then in the spring, there was the television documentary Wingspan that came out on ABC. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of go from the Beatles to wings in the span of a, a season um so i was the perfect age perfect time and of course you know sharing the same name with paul mccartney you it's kind of obvious that i would gra- gravitate towards his solo careers more so, so than the others um so that was how that started uh, but funnily enough when i when wingspan aired i was honestly interested in what they had to say about the beatles because I knew nothing about Wings at that time. <laughs> you just wanted to hear Paul talk about the Beatles. Yeah, so like when Happiness is a Worm guy played, I was like, oh yeah, that's the stuff right there. Little did I know. Little did you know. So what do you remember, because I, I like asking kind of the specific, do you remember that, I'm assuming, that night you watched it on, what was it, ABC? Yeah, it was ABC. So I watched it that night, and then I also um, recorded it on VHS tape. Shout out to your listeners who remember good old VHS. You know, people always talk to me in a VHS like I don't, I wouldn't remember it. Like I, I remember VHS. I'm not that young. <laughs> um. So, and it must have been in that Wingspan documentary that you would have heard the name Jimmy McCulloch for the first time. Yeah, so being that I was a young guy, um, and I'm kind of on the thin, slender side physically, um, so when Paul said that, oh, there's a young whiz kid guitar player named Jimmy McCulloch, and I saw, like, oh, here's this young hotshot kid who's, you know, pretty skinny, but can play the guitar like nobody's business, like, that immediately piqued my interest. So I was kind of, you know, um, intrigued at that point. I, I like to ask this, especially when I'm talking to authors like yourself. Uh, what was the first, uh, I'll ask, what was the first Beatle book that you remember having? And then what was the first kind of specific Paul McCartney book that you remember? Oh, man, that's a good question. The first specific Beatles book. Um... Because I'm lucky in the fact that my my first Beatle book was actually the the anthology coffee table book because my yeah. mom just happened to have it. Mm. Yeah, I um, man, that's a good question. I honestly don't remember my first specific Beatles book, but I mean, it very well could have been 
the anthology book because I'm pretty sure that came out around the same time. I think it did too. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, or it could have been one of the one of the biographies, like um, like Hunter Davies' biography. Yeah, um, I I honestly can't remember. And my first Pacific Paul book. That's a good question as well because I don't. It's between three. It's between the Wingspan book, which accompanied the documentary. <laughs> I remember my mom getting that for me at Target. Unlike the anthology book, it actually came out with the the actual Wingspan uh, compilation and documentary, as opposed to anthology, yeah. which came out five years late. Yeah, so I, I want to say either that book or there was a book that I had found when I was on Christmas vacation and I was at, I think it was Barnes Noble and I, I saw a Wings book in the music section and I freaked out and it was um, Gary McGee's Paul McCartney and Wings uh, Ben on the Run biography and um, so shout out to Gary, um, he's He's, uh, I think he lives in Iowa, so we kind of had like the Iowa thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, so it was that book, and then also this isn't like a Wings book or anything, but it was um, many years from now with uh, Barry, Barry Miles. Oh, that another, that, in, that's a good really place good to start. So yeah, I want to say those either either one of those three. I honestly don't remember. Um, and now some of us out here, or some of my listeners may have heard the name Jimmy McCulloch, may know that he was in Wings for a period of time, but they may not know that much about him. Could you give us a little crash course in Jimmy? Yeah, well, Jimmy started out playing guitar. Uh, He got his first guitar at age 11. So he got his first band called the Jay Gars around that time with his brother Jack. And then, so they played around Scotland and then they supported The Who, which is where he met Pete Townsend. And Pete was kind of blown away by Jimmy's guitar playing at that young age. So flash forward a couple of years later, um, Jimmy happens to run into Pete in London and the seeds for Thunderclap Newman were formed. And uh, Jimmy played on their big hit, Something in the Air, which still resonates today, by the way. Um, yeah. So that so that made Jimmy the youngest UK guitarist to play on a hit, uh, number one single, Signal, Signal, <laughs> Signal, Single, Single, there we go. I can't, I can't speak tonight. Don't um, worry, I can't either. Okay. You're so in I'm the gonna, right place. So, yeah, the magic of editing. So Jimmy played on Something in the Air, which, you know, still resonates today. And with his playing on that, it became the youngest UK guitarist to play on a number one single. So that's pretty cool. Um, so then flash forward a couple years later, he joined up with John Mayall of John Mayall's Blues, Blues Breakers for a short tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he played with uh, Maggie Bell in Stone the Crows, which was a phenomenal Scottish uh, sort of blues rock band and then he uh, joined Wings a year later so he would have been 20 years old when he joined Wings in 74. How did he get involved with Wings? 
Well, he played on Linda's uh, Susie and the Red Stripe sessions in Paris in the fall of 73. So he was involved with the McCartneys even before he joined Wings. Um, so that Paris session led to another session with, uh, with Paul's brother, Mike McGear on that incredible McGear record. So, and it was during the recording of that album that Paul asked Jimmy to join Wings. I, I just kind of want to say what an incredible album indeed. I'm so glad it's finally back in print after all these years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, absolutely phenomenal. And uh, many people consider it the Lost Wings album, which I wholeheartedly agree. Well, yeah, it kind of fills that gap of 74, where there wasn't a Wings album. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, how how would you describe Jimmy's time with Wings? Um, that's a good question. Fruitful? Um, definitely fruitful. Uh, he got two songs of his on two mega successful records with uh, Madison Jar on Venus and Mars and Why Not Junko on At the Speed of Sound. He played all over the world, which uh, which is what's his favorite thing to do. Um, and then, yeah, he sort of became a, a household name and um, people in the music industry respected his guitar playing and the sort of hard rock edge that he brought to Wings because before I think Wings was sort of a a bit poppy. Yeah. And uh, with Jimmy and Joe, you know, they brought that chemistry, they brought that more hard rock edge and they got Wings to fly high and um, reach their peak. Because... I think you're completely right there. When you compare, like, the public perception of Wings, maybe, like, 72, 73, it was like, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and then you have Medicine Jar and stuff like that. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. Most of, I, I'm not a big fan of most of the Venus and Mars album. Um, so, so Venus and Mars is my favorite Wings album. Uh, what's your favorite Wings record? Uh, as much as it's kind of the basic choice to say, I think I'd have to say uh, uh, Wings at the Speed of Sound. Or Band on nice. the Run. Nice. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Wildlife or Rudder of Speedway. Oh, no. No, I'm not a sadist. <sighs> I I could have kind of thrown a curveball and said maybe like side one of Back to the Egg. That would have been a good curveball. That's a good record as well. Yeah. Although, I, it feels like, to me, Side 2 was, you know, a bit of a, a letdown. Like, the first time I heard it, I thought, wow, this is really good. And then I flipped the record, and it's like, okay, this is less good. <laughs> and uh, so I'll ask, because I, I kind of know the answer to this already. There's uh, a very famous story about Jimmy uh, written in another biographer's book. I won't say the name because I'm scared of him. Uh, About Jimmy and a uh, firearm. Could you elaborate on this story and uh, say anything about its validity? Yeah, well, the uh, trash book that you are referring to. Yeah. um, That 
story is 100% false. And it's been believed for so many years. Um, it's amazing to me how many people out there just automatically believe everything that they read, um, especially with somebody who has such a horrible reputation as... Um, Don't say his name. Don't say his name. <laughs> as um, he who must not be named. Um so it's kind of mind blowing to me, but but um, in in my book, I I do debunk that story, um, or I should say, uh, Jimmy's brother Jack debunks it, and then also in that book, um, there's allegedly a photo of Jimmy's uh, body, um, which. I can confirm that that is not the case, um, as the caption in that other book says. Yeah. Um, so I debunked that in my in my book as well. So um, it's unfortunate that both of those things have been believed by people for so many years, and it's going to be great to finally set the record straight on both of those issues and other rumors and myths surrounding Jimmy. Well. I want to talk about setting the the story straight with Jimmy. How how does one go about writing a book on someone like? Well, I think you kind of you know you have to be passionate about it and you have to do it for the right reasons. In my case, first and foremost, like I love Jimmy's music, so it's always been the music. And then some bull crap because people than just one narrow-minded yeah. viewpoint. So I set out I set out to you know talk to people who who knew Jimmy and just to find out who he truly was as a person and he's completely different than what he has been reported on in uh, rock biographies and the musical papers at the time. Um so yeah so yeah for for me just focusing on um the music and um showing people who jimmy was as a person um and just highlighting the positive aspects of who he was now how how did you get his uh his brother uh involved with the book well he he had heard of me um through through uh various people i i guess um through like through my work with like the Facebook page and my YouTube channel and stuff like that. Um, I guess he like enough people I'd mentioned my name to him that he felt comfortable with um, getting in touch with me and um, and his family. Um, so I mean again like it was me just being you know being passionate and showing that I was in it for the right reasons and not being an opportunistic um, idiot who tells lies for financial gain and writing sensationalist crap. Yeah. I want to get the true story of of who Jimmy was out there. Now he, he, he deserves it and his family and, and friends deserve it and his fans deserve it. Now, 
is there anything that you learned from uh, Jack that kind of blew your mind when you heard it because he, you know, hadn't heard it anywhere else? Um, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, there's like, like he's told me, blown away by how how um how rich and detailed they are, the stories are um and he just you know sheds light on on who his brother was and um and his love of music and he you know he said to me straight when i you know get my facts wrong or you know have questions on on something and um yeah i just i just appreciate um you know, him wanting to help me get it right. And uh, for those who may not know, uh, Jack and Jimmy were bandmates uh, in a band called One in a Million. And I, I've been kind of itching to ask you about One in a Million because I've been digging their stuff lately. Did, did Jack tell you any good stories about them when they were still a group? Yeah, yeah, he told me, he told me a few good stories, um, so, like, he told me about, uh, behind the songs, um, I think, I think it was, but it was either Double Sight or Frederick, he made the, the meaning of the live stories. Because they they gigged around quite a bit back then, you know, being young and trying to break in, into the music business. Um, I think he said they they did about four hundred and fifty gigs the three years they were together. Really? Yeah. Four hundred. Wow. Which which is strange for or thinking about it because they only put out maybe a, a single or two, right? Yeah, let me put out two singles. Yeah. Well, one of those singles, if you haven't heard it, called Frederick Hernando, it is one of my favorite songs of... It's probably my most listened-to song of 2020, if I'm being frank. That's awesome. It is such a killer track. It kind of reminds me of some of the stuff uh, that the the small faces were doing around the same time. Which is ironic, considering that Jimmy ended up leaving Wings to join the small faces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The songs that One in a Million did were kind of written in sort of like that that Who, Pink Floyd type vein. Um, So I'm just going over the mini strip now. Um, So it was Double Scythe that Jack told me the story behind um so yeah there's a bit of stuff in here. um so actually now that i mentioned the small faces i want to ask you uh could you tell me a little bit more about how jimmy there's one story about jimmy and steve marriott calling up paul mccartney and saying oh jimmy's lead wings and joining up with with uh, me and the small faces um there's 
Paul kicking Jimmy out of wings. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think Jimmy sort of just got frustrated with being in wings because um, they wouldn't allow him to stretch his his wings, so to speak. Um, and he was always good friends with Steve Marriott, so I think it was kind of an easy transition to join up with them and beef up their sound, their live sound. <laughs> and um, it's it's a shame that that his time in the Small Faces was so was so brief. Because he he was in the the small faces for like less than a year, and he only appeared on the second of their two uh, reunion albums, I think. Yeah, seventy eight in the shade. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, always get so those two only... confused: seventy eight in the shade and uh, the other one. What's it? Playmates, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so Jimmy was only in the band for. <laughs> Three months, three and a half months. Three and a half months. I I thought it was longer than that. No, because he joined in early September, and then by January of '78, he had left. Wow. Why did he he leave the Small Faces? Um, it just wasn't like the work or the money that he had hoped for. Yeah. Um, so he just wanted to go off and do his own thing. You you said uh, that he was growing frustrated with wings because he didn't really have much room to grow or shine, which is quite sad. But it's kind of to be expected as a part of the wings, because you're you're always going to be living in the shadow of Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like. Jimmy was, you know, an integral part of Wings, and he felt that he should get more, um, you know, more say in his fair dues, as as Jack says, um, for his contributions to Wings, and Paul didn't see it that way, so Jimmy up and left. And then Joe left shortly afterwards, so that was the end of Wings, as they say. That sounds like a bit of a reoccurring theme throughout the the story of Wings. People feeling not exactly listened to. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, that's sort of not surprising when you're in a band with Paul McCartney. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, at at the same time, you know, you do want to be taken seriously for your contributions and, um, you know, being appreciated for your talent. And um, a lot of Wings members didn't feel that appreciation, so they just, they just left. Now, um, Except Benny Lane. There's, there's a group that I, I saw that for some reason I... The name of it is escaping me. I'll turn this into a different question. Uh, I, I've named a couple of the groups that Jimmy was in. Uh, are there any other ones of note that people should listen to if they haven't? Yeah, you should check out Jimmy's band called White Line. Um, that was Jimmy and Jack. 
and during down periods in wings. So asking that's sort of like a fun band, something sort of in whining, and then I was Jimmy's song, uh, Too Many Miles. So definitely check out White Line. Um, they did release a full record uh, in 1994. Um, that's just been re-released this year on uh, all your favorite digital platforms. And uh, I would highly suggest you check it out. You won't be disappointed. Um, I, I like to get kind of opinionated with this show. So I want to ask you some questions here. What is your favorite Beatles song? Oh, that's a good question. I think it I think it depends on my mood. But my stock answer has always been um, a day in the life. Oh, not a bad stock answer to have. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just uh it's just one of those songs that sort of like gets into your soul and like makes you feel things. Just like John's vocal delivery and all the sound effects and stuff like that. It's just phenomenal. And uh, the flip side to that question, as it is, um, oh, God, now I'm making the bad puns. Okay, um, what is your least favorite Beatles song? Would, oh, I don't really count Revolution Number 9 as a song, per se. Yeah, it's more of so, a kind of audio collage art piece thing. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's my least favorite, but I don't really care for it. That's um, Long and Winding Road. You know what? There, there's a couple songs and albums that come up on this show that I would say are the correct answer to the question, and you just said the correct answer to the least favorite Beatles song. <laughs> so you win the prize, nice. prize to be determined. Uh, what what is your favorite Beatles album? Um, I would have to go with Revolver. Again, correct answer. And uh, I mean, it's just perfection from start to finish. It is. It, it's not even debatable, too. No. Uh, do you have a least favorite Beatles album? Um, you know what? I actually don't. Um, but I don't like. I don't really listen to like the early stuff as much as I do the mid to later stuff. So, so if I had to pick, if I had to pick one, Beatles for sale. Really? Ah, uh, you're breaking my heart here, Paul. <laughs> Well, you can't be right all the time. Yeah. Well, I can't be right all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask, what's your favorite Wings album? But then I realized it's probably going to be one of two answers. Yeah, it's oh, wait, uh, you Venus said, and Mars. You already said Venus and Mars. Oh, wow, I'm an idiot. I did. Um, what is, do, okay. do you have a least favorite Wings album? I don't. I love them all. Even wildlife, all, yeah. Wildlife is very charming in its own way, um, and you know what they say: beep bop is a bop. You heard it here first. 
<laughs> um, do you have a favorite Wings song besides Medicine Jar? Besides Medicine Jar and Wino Junko. Yes. Um, I'd have to go with Letting Go. Okay, that that's actually a really good choice. Now, now, if you want me to name, like, because that's still Jimmy era. So, if you want yeah. me to name my favorite wing song, that's not from Jimmy's era. I'd have to go with um, either nineteen hundred eighty-five or Big Barn Bed. Okay, that's actually an answer I haven't heard yet on this show. Um, and Honorable mention goes to Get on the Right Thing. And uh, I, I have a feeling you know where this is going. Do you have a least favorite Wings song? I don't, but if I can shout out my or our, both of our um, good friends, Tom and Andy from Two Legs. Never heard of them. I, ha- <laughs> I have to say... That um, how could you not appreciate Loop first ending on the moon? Uh, Paul's bass playing on that track is absolutely phenomenal. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, and th- the good thing about you kind of or being an expert on Jimmy, I can ask you about some other bands and uh, some favorite tracks. What's your favorite Thunderclap Newman song? Uh, Accidents, the album version, which is nine minutes long. I I had written down a question, which I now realize is kind of stupid, because they only put out two singles, so like a total of four songs. What's your favorite One in a Million song? Um, well, see, they they actually they have more than two than four songs. Um, I don't know if you have the their CD that came out. I do a not. A few years back. Um, definitely check that out. Um, it's called Double Sight: The Complete One in a Million Recordings. Okay. Um. So, I mean, yeah, I'll go with Devil's Sight and Frederick Hernando because I can't really pick between those two. Um, do you have a favorite Small Faces song? Um, see, I remember telling you this last time and you got mad at me, but uh, Mad John. Okay, well, see, I, I've evolved as a person, Paul. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's still not my favorite, but it's... It's I I like it more than some of their early stuff. Like it it kind of receives an automatic pass because it was on Ogden's Nut Gone Flake. Yeah, because there were some kind of stinkers on the first fucking Decca album. Speaking of the small faces, I did just watch a phenomenal Ronnie Lane documentary. Really? I think it was on. I think it was on YouTube. Was um, it that uh, passing show? The BBC thing. Um, it might have been. Let me check real quick. Because Ronnie Lane is another person with, you know, just an incredibly fascinating story. Yeah, his his uh, Rough Mixes album with Pete Townsend is phenomenal. Full circle here. With Pete. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you just type in Ronnie Lane documentary... On YouTube, it's the first one, so it's the the hour long documentary that I watched. It doesn't have a name; it just says Ronnie Lane documentary. Remember, kids, we don't advocate piracy here, uh, unless you want to. In which case, you know, I'm not going to be a narc. 
Um, so, one of the, the last kind of questions I want to ask you, why do you think Jimmy's story matters? I think it matters because he's been unfairly portrayed for years. Um, you know, he's been portrayed as this talented, talented guitar player who wrote ironic songs and then passed away at a young age, which um, is on his life and let people get a good person uh, because um, and hopefully they'll gain a new appreciation for who Jimmy was as a person and as a musician. Now I want to give you the opportunity. Now the book is still uh, forthcoming, but when it's out, uh, where can people find it? So I'm self-publishing it. Um, so like I'll I'll post a link on uh, in my little wing group on the Jimmy McCulloch page that I run on Facebook. Um, I'll probably post. I'll probably make a website for it. Um, so people can get it through there. They'll be able to get it through uh, barnesandnoble.com because um, that's the service that I'm that I'm using for self-publishing, uh, Barnes and Noble Press. Um, they'll be able to get it on ebook. Um, so there'll be lots of ways um, for people to get it, and uh, you can also get it from me personally as well if you want to. Well, I, I know that I, I'm certainly going to be getting it when it comes out, because I, I really want to read this. I appreciate it. I, th- I think you'll, you'll enjoy it, um, and I think you'll be, you'll be uh, greatly intrigued by not only the information that's in the book, but also the countless visuals that are in it, because um, many of them have never been seen before. And there's 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 some good one in a million photos. I'll just tell you that. Okay, now you have me even more excited. Because I've seen maybe like one picture of the actual band. Yeah. Of course, I could yeah, just there's... be not looking hard enough. And there are in fact two pictures of the band. Yeah. There, well, there's more than two um, more than... of them in my book. So. So there, there might even be um, a photo of them from a live show. You never know until you get the book. You never know. Now you have me even more excited than I was before. <laughs> so, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Or coming on the show. I can't break the fourth wall even more than I already have. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, I appreciate it. And um, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas, and uh, let's hope 2021 is much better than 2020. Well, likewise to you, too. Hope hope the year is better for you, too. And same for everyone else out there. Uh, Hope your year is splendid. And you know what? Thank you for listening. You can go home now. Bands on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.